The Lifestyle Show on RTE Radio 1 Extra. Hello and welcome to The Lifestyle Show with me, Tara Lockery-Grant on RTE Radio 1 Extra. This is the weekly show and podcast where we talk to some of the most inspiring people whose work, programmes and interviews we feature on rte.ie forward slash lifestyle and also in the lifestyle section of the RTE News Now app. The areas that we focus on, living, parenting, finance, fitness, health, food, fashion, travel, careers, motors and much more. And many of those we feature here are household names. Many others should be and will no doubt be as they go about inspiring people in their day-to-day lives. We spoke recently to the moting editor of RTE, that's Donal Byrne, about family cars. The do's, the don'ts when buying. The same for students. Now it's time, surprisingly, may not even be Halloween, to have a look and see if you're thinking of buying in 2018, what should you be looking out for? The do's, the don'ts, the changes, the trends. Donal is here to make sure that this time next year you're not regretting buys that you bought in early 2018. Donal, thanks a million for coming in. Thank you, Tara. Nice to be here. So look, what, you know, let's, 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 why now? We know that fashion is always the season ahead. Is it the same with motoring? I think a lot of people drive past car showrooms and see the car in the showroom, expect to walk in, sign the cheque, organise their finance and drive away. And uh, it's understandable, but it doesn't work like that. They don't have an endless supply of cars sitting in yards around the country to send straight up to the dealership as soon as you order. So there's normally a lead time of maybe four or six weeks uh, by the time cars are delivered. They're mostly delivered from European factories. In some cases, they come from Japan. Uh, in some cases, they come from the States. Uh, so there's quite a quite a, a, a gap between the time you actually order the car and also the way you want the car. You, you'll want a specific colour. You want... Uh, leather seats, you want dual zone air conditioning whatever your choices are they can all be accommodated by car manufacturers these days but it does take time to get everything you want down on paper and then get it transferred into an order on a production line. I mean that makes complete sense when you say it but it's just maybe something that people especially if you haven't bought new before so do you think in 2018 a lot of people will be buying new cars or has that, are people buying used still? I think a lot of people will be buying new cars, but there certainly won't be the number of cars that have been sold this year. And certainly by comparison to last year, there won't be anything like it. There are a number of factors that come into play. The chief one is Brexit. There's a great deal of uncertainty whether it comes to buying a washing machine, a new car, extending your house or deciding to do something else with your disposable income or money that you might want to borrow. Uh, well, Brexit. you know what? Yes, we're going to get into Brexit in, in a little while. That is a really, really key point. OK, so first of all, what we want to do is you want to give us a sort of a preview in terms of looking for new cars. So as you said, first of all, it's not a case of walk in, pick it out, drive home. Well, I think as we've discussed before, I mean, preparation really is everything. There's no point in going to a car dealership with a vague idea of what you want and saying, well, I've got five different cars in mind. One of them is a Volkswagen, one of them is a Ford and so on. You just end up with endless frustration. I mean, there are so many sources nowadays uh, where you can pick and choose. Most people follow their emotional instinct about cars. You know, they'll see a car and say, I like that. And they'll say, I would like one of those. It's time then to go and tailor make the car for yourself. If you really like the look of it, if it's the kind of car you want to drive, you then have to decide, does it suit you? Do you have children? Do you not have children? Do you carry passengers? And so on. So you've got to decide whether dimensions are right, whether the interior specifications are right. Does it have everything you want? Do you have your Bluetooth connection? Do you want satellite navigation? And so on. So we're probably in the first um, phase at the moment of a box ticking exercise for most people because a lot 
lot of people, frankly, and I tend to agree with them to a, to a certain extent, cars are all the same to a lot of people. But there are some cars that are very different from others. So if you want to do your homework and say, right, the thing I really want is a very big display screen. Mm -hmm. If that's what you want, well, then you're limited to a number of cars. You get into some cars, it'll be tiny, be like a postage stamp uh, compared to what you want. But if you have your, your, your boxes, your own personal choice boxes, and you tick them, do you want leather seats? Do you want Jules own um, climate control? Uh, do you want a car, for example, that kind of change the rear seat formation? to accommodate two kids or three kids. Wow. Uh, yes, take to all one of the seat above. out. Yep. Uh, move two seats slightly closer together, but still give them enough space to keep them away from each other. That can be done with cars. I mean, Sliding doors so that the wingspan isn't too big and smashes off the car next to Yeah, doors. you won't find it on too many cars. Uh, but again, it's, it's just, uh, that's one more box, for example, for you. Yeah. It mightn't apply to the next person, but uh, there are boxes that we can take for ourselves. And then you're in a position to go ahead. And most importantly, you're then in a position to go ahead and drive your own bargain yes good okay how come because you've got a, you, you you how because if you have a specific list are you not more tied well there's a compromise if you're getting a discount on a car you might be willing to compromise on the dual zone air conditioning okay. for example so you might say yeah if i'm getting 1500 off well then i'll go with that good. or they might have a car in stock that has three of your five boxes ticked you might say, OK, I'll accept the three, but I get the car at a better price. Yes. And uh, do you know what? It is that thing, Donald. The more you know your lifestyle, this is a really good point you're making. The more you know your lifestyle, you know what you can and can't put up with. For me, for example, I'm first of all, the child lock is on. That's fine. But I have to run back and stand there till both doors are open to make sure that the kids don't open the doors too wide and smash another car. It's a terrifying thing because you're going to have to pay, blah, 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 do the right thing. So that's one of my things. OK, so it's not just that, Tara. I mean, there are other things. Uh, I've, I've complained recently about the size of these bigger SUVs yeah. that have seven seats. Well, I don't it's have all, one of those. It's all very yes, well having massive. seven seats or five seats or whatever. But the, the size of the vehicle, uh, a lot of people can't park them. The turning circle yes. on these things is so big that it will take you five manoeuvres or six or seven possibly to do what you could do in a small car in two you got to find a compromise in between the two because I certainly couldn't live with that. Well, I'll tell you, my car is definitely a compromise and it wasn't something I planned on. <laughs> it definitely fits. But yeah, listen, it feels like a bit like the Kinder Egg. Are we getting bigger or are the car park spaces getting smaller? Some of those city centre ones all across the country are a nightmare. I think you're right. I mean, I, I think if you go to some of the older shopping yeah, centres, you'll realise what a proper parking space should be. Yeah. On the other hand, some of the very modern ones like Dundrum, for example, uh, I, I very think personally, I think they're a comfortable we should do a size. piece on that, Donald. Do you know what? We should do a piece on the best, most generous car parks in the country. I would definitely listen to that one. So we, uh, there's another one for our list. OK, well, moving back. What do you think? Yeah, yeah we may not get cool. to a lot of car parks, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> the next one is, yes, January being high sales point um, for a lot of people. But what's your view on that? I mean, in terms of preparation, when do you go in? When do you put the money down? When do you put your name down? What should you do? Well, as soon as possible, really. I mean, you should now be at the stage where you've selected your boxes, you've ticked your boxes, then go talk to the garage if you know the car you want to buy, ask them what the delivery date is and so on. It used to be the case that we had one peak registration period every year that was in January. We now have two. Yes. That was two. Uh, unbalance or to balance up, if you like, the selling period between January and June and July and December. Um, but but January is still the big change point because, let's face it, a lot of people change their furniture coming up to Christmas. Psychologically, it's the new year, it's a new start and so on. A lot of people like to have their car at the beginning of the year. I don't think it's the best time to buy a car. 
Really? I'd go for a fallow period when I know that the dealers are quiet. I think wow. I'd get a better deal. Clever. Doesn't matter to me. So when would you what go? What the digits on my number plate are. Yeah. I would tend to go times like March. Yeah, March sounds good. Yeah. Or yeah. midsummer. Good. Good. Okay, sorry, I'm just taking note. Not that I'm going to be buying a new car anytime soon, but as you said earlier, this it, it, it could be a new to you car. There's going to be a lot of used sales cars. Actually, let's move to that one then. If we talk about Brexit, there seems to be a lot of uncertainty about it. Um, that, is, you mentioned earlier, has spilled over to the car industry. Can you tell us more? That's the, the, the key word is uncertainty, um, because it seems to me from what I've heard in terms of government statements in the UK, which seem to change every two to three weeks, there seems to be a, a change of tone and context and there seems to be a change in tone and context from the EU side as well. The longer this goes on, the more uncertain people become because don't forget, for a lot of us, the recession is still a very recent memory. We know how close we came to not having our savings. We know how close we came to almost losing our houses or getting into difficulties with mortgages and so on. And for many, it's still a reality. One of the problems with history, of course, is that people who don't remember it are condemned to make the same mistakes. I I think a lot of people are very conscious of Brexit, but they don't know. Mm. And it seems to me, I'm not an economic commentator, but no one else seems to know either. Until this deal is done, the scale of the settlement between the EU and Britain is established, the repayment period and then the divorce period is sorted. No one really knows. So with fluctuations in interest rates, with people very, very conscious of their savings, People are very conscious of not overextending themselves and putting themselves at risk. You know, maybe that car that you thought you might change next year could wait till the following year when you're more reassured about what the uh, short term and the longer term future is. Really interesting. You wrote a piece for us on RT Lifestyle um, in the motoring section about the new London tea charge, the tax that's coming in and the effect that it possibly could have on Ireland and the Irish motoring industry. Can you tell us more about that for anyone who missed it? Yeah, so the EU uh, regulations concerning diesel and petrol engines uh, go from level one to level six. So we're going back to cars in the UK that are eight, nine, ten years old. Uh, the Mayor of London is spending almost a billion pounds on combating air pollution, uh, is making people uh, pay in conjunction with the congestion charge a total of about 23 euros a day to drive an old car into London. Now, that's a pretty frightening prospect if you multiply that by five, if you were doing it five days a week. So effectively, they're gone. There will be an issue when diesel prices in the UK, the price of diesel cars drop by 20%. They've dropped month by month on average by 7%. So diesel is dirty. A lot of people don't want it. They can't wait to get rid of it fast enough. Where are they going to go? In some cases, people in the Irish motor industry feel Ireland is the ideal export market because you can now go and buy a diesel car, an older diesel car. But I'm not sure that all that many people are going to buy the much older diesel cars, but still with the, the correlation between the diesel gate, as we call it, controversy and fuel emissions and emissions levels and climate change. They're all coming together very fast for people and people are reacting much faster than anyone ever thought they are would. Are they? Very much so. Okay. I mean, I've had people who have reasonably new cars who might change their car every three, four years uh, saying, what do I buy next? Will I buy a diesel? Most important thing here is not to panic because nothing is going to change that fast. Almost one in four cars across the EU are diesel cars. So you can't disenfranchise 70% of the voting public across Europe and say, by the way, you can't drive your diesel car anymore. It's not going to happen like that. It's going to happen much more slowly. 
Something else I did hear, I have heard of a number of um, mums who are driving, uh, working mums as well, you know, the, 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 the busy car, whether you're working at home or outside the home, busy life, busy car, diesel. A lot of them are saying if it is, let's say from 2008 oh, up to maybe what, 2012, 2013. No, I have it. I'm going to let it run and run because the trade in value by the time it's time to trade in anyway, is not going to be that amount, that huge. Let it run for another couple of years and then just get the trade in value because you're not going to get much more if you panic and get rid of it now. What's I your think view that's a that? natural reaction. And I think people are probably sensible. I mean, why would they make a decision now based on a vacuum? They don't know what's going to happen in relation to diesel legislation or pollution legislation in this country. Um, I think Pascal Donoghue was signalling in his budget speech that there will be much more in the next budget concerning car emissions and uh, car levels of car tax. So I think we're at least a year away from it. Uh, it's understandable that people don't want to rush out and uh, change their car um, if they feel they might have a car that's three or four years old, if they feel it's devaluing. And I think that's beginning to happen, although we haven't seen any really concrete figures on it. But I think it will happen that diesels will are becoming less valuable. Um, but there's no need to panic. No, I think if it's an older one as well, Donald, there's not a huge amount to be gained either way, is there? Well, the chances are it wasn't worth very much to exactly. begin with. So it's not a great difference whether it's Trading 2017, yeah. 2018 or 2019. Exactly. It's impossible to say that a diesel car for which you paid 15 or 25,000 uh, three or four years ago is going to be worth six, seven, eight or nine thousand in three years time. That's the whole issue. And that's the problem here is that the, the valuation of cars for trade in purposes is becoming hugely complex because if the dealer takes the car and gives you a good trade in rate on it, how much can he sell that car for? It's what the market decides is, is how the equation is sorted at the end of the day. And I know that uh, car dealers are having a very difficult time right now assessing the value of diesel cars and what they can resell them for. Yeah, I think that's kind of the key point, isn't it? So we'll have to wait. It could be a lot of wait and see. This time next year, do you think we'll be a lot wiser on this? I'm not sure that we'll be a lot wiser. We, we have to be to some degree wiser. But I mean, right now, there is so much uncertainty. Uh, it seems in the last week there may have been some degree degree of rapprochement between both sides. They're certainly making the right noises. But these are such complex negotiations. I mean, there's a friend of mine who works in uh, the aviation business who reckons that aviation alone, uh, aviation agreements are going to take 15 years. Oh, my God. Before British planes can have permission to land and have fly, fly, flying rights through 27 countries. So that's just one small example. I... I I dread to think of how messy this may become. I, I think the agreement in principle at the very beginning of it uh, is one thing. But when they get down to ironing out the, the nitty gritty, it's it's fiendishly complex. Yeah. And you're dealing with so many areas. It's not just cars know, or tax. Everything. Or, you know, yeah. absolutely everything from child welfare to travel rights to bringing your dog to the continent. Yes, you know, with our biggest trading partner. And it's been so seamless to date in so many areas. OK, well, if we move on then, and uh, as you said, that's more of a waiting game. So people moving away now from a lot of families, from family cars to crossovers. So tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of us grew up with conventional family cars, you know, the Ford Focus with the hatchback and the, the five Toyotas, four doors and yeah. all of that sort of stuff. The Nissan Qashqai changed Everything. Yes. I don't think the people who designed it had any idea of the kind of impact it was going to make. 
But suddenly people decided that, yeah, maybe they were kind of bored with boring looking cars and they wanted something a little bit different. So they came up with this concept of an SUV or a crossover. And the crossover is supposed to look a bit like a Jeep and behave and look slightly like a car Donald, as well. I have to say every time you talk about this and I'm hoping that I'm right in the, reading you properly there's a little twinkle in your eye every time you met. we've talked about the Nissan Qashqai comes up every now and again are you a big fan of this car or is Ireland a big fan it's of this I, car? It, Ireland was a huge fan I mean at the height of the boom Peter were, people were waiting seven, eight yeah, months to get these cars um, I would love and I was a big yeah. fan of it at the time but I think it's quite dated now is it? Uh, there's so many other cars yeah. around I mean Every single manufacturer now has a crossover car um, that they're they're flogging to people on the basis that it doesn't look like your ordinary car. And we are very quickly moving away. You can see when you drive down the road, any newish car now is likely to be some kind of crossover or SUV concept. And what is a crossover for anyone who doesn't know or hasn't jumped into one? It's actually they're really just cars that look a bit like an SUV or a sports utility vehicle or a Jeep or whatever. People just wanted something different. Mm. They wanted a bit of height. That's what I was uh, going to say. You know, you're in a more comfortable, slightly elevated position in most of them. Um, and they drive well. They've got reasonable space inside. Some of them are better designed than others. Are they so, easier for getting children in and out of high, small children? Because that's something with your back. To, to a degree. Well, yeah. certainly if you compare them to a very low car, yeah. and some cars traditionally have been designed with a, with a very low um, uh, base. Yes. Um, um, yes, that, that sort of arching your back yes. to reach in to get the, the stuff out and so on. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so a lot of people find it more convenient. A lot of people think they're much safer. That isn't necessarily the case, but people like to think that. Okay, okay, good. So, um, and you think that trend is going to continue? And are they much more expensive? Or le- not? not really, no. I mean, they, they look um, they look innovative and they look new and so on, but actually they're designed and priced to fit right in where your traditional hatchback goes out. Okay. So, no, they're not. Uh, some 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 of the bigger ones are very expensive. A Volvo XC90. Oh, I've seen them. Or whatever, you're up to 85,000 to start. Oh, my God. Okay, that's very, that's a lot of money. When but, you're, but you yeah. commensurately, you come right back down to 21, 23, 24,000 for a new smaller one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what are the most popular ones do you think that we're going to be seeing on the roads a lot? I mean, we know, as you said, we are in Ireland fans of the Fords. We are fans of the Toyotas. We are fans of Volkswagens continuously, despite um, news over the last year. We still are. are uh, what are the, is that going to continue, do you think? Well, the, the brands aren't going to change because there isn't any big new car company waiting in the wings to step in and compete with the likes of Ford or Volkswagen or Nissan. Um, what what happens is that the brands, the companies themselves change. I mean, these these people, no sooner do they launch one car on, say, the 1st of January 2017, they've already got the drawings for the next one. Wow. So of they're course. looking five years ahead. They can't operate any other way no. because it takes so long between the time you design a car till you find the right engineering for it, till you find the right marketing spend and so on. And then an accountant comes along and says, OK, now we're ready to go because we've got all the, the bits of the jigsaw in place. But I, I've, I've been shown on occasion, uh, or at least been given a good sneak preview of what a brand new car is going to look like in five years' time. It's fascinating. Very often they're concept drawings, but they do give you a very good sense of the, the way the, um, the, the designers themselves are thinking. And they've all got to think in parallel. You can't come out with a really dated looking car in five years' time when everybody else is ahead of the pack. So how do they know what the others are coming out with? They say they don't talk, uh, but, you know, car designers, they're a very small community. Um, I think even for their own sanity, 
they need to talk because it's a hell of a risk. Donald. Do you think they have a little WhatsApp group? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say they're. I'd say they're a bit more discreet than that. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, I think what they what they have to do is share among themselves because none of them wants to be seen as the guy who took the ultimate risk no. and created the wrong thing. Yeah, and no company wants to be left isolated. So it serves. The purpose for both sides. It's a bit too. like fashion as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they tell me in fashion that they, you know, bunch of designers meet down in the south of France every year and they pick a color. Wow! And I say that's the color for next year. And lo and behold, you start seeing these colors in the shops about a year later. Remarkable how all the different labels seem to well, coincide in their thinking. I don't know, but if that is the case, I think that is hilarious. And why not? <laughs> um, and I'm also really impressed that you know that as well. And you're telling us that's really good. Well, there so, you go. So Donald, tell us next up about, um, I, I am one of these people who needs your help and advice and input on this. The whole petrol, diesel, electric. So we talked about diesel earlier, but petrol, diesel versus electric. I think this is probably, yeah, I mean, I think this is probably the biggest and most legitimate concern that people have. And it's perfectly understandable. You know, we had a company like Volvo coming out a few months ago saying from 2018, 2019, we will only produce our models in electric versions. That's not to say that they won't continue to make diesel and petrol cars. They will. BMW is going to make both in tandem and they're going to let the market decide whether the demand is for electricity or petrol or whatever. The technology is incredible. Um... You know, an electric car has a tiny number of moving parts. It's virtually maintenance-free, zero emissions, incredible acceleration. Um, It's got everything that we need in terms of the concerns we have for the planet and the world we live in. However, the infrastructure simply isn't there to make it the easiest fit. We have issues here with charging points. We have questions about where the electricity is going to be generated, how much the electricity will cost. But I've I've spoken recently, more and more people are buying them and they are exercising a a sort of a disciplined approach. You know, they watch the range. They're careful to to charge up uh, and they're they're pretty happy with them. Uh, But electric cars are not there yet. They're not anywhere near where we need them to be to make that final tilt against uh, petrol and diesel. So you're going to see petrol and diesel around for quite some time. Okay, you've driven quite a few, haven't you? And tried them in hybrid and uh, pure electric and and then hybrid as well. Is there any at the moment that you feel from your research, from your own experience, is edging ahead? Uh, Right now, in terms of hybrid cars, the uh, Toyota Prius, for example, has been well proven. It's been around a long time. You don't have any range anxiety. You've got your small petrol engine, your petrol engine in conjunction with your electric um, uh, power source. So you're running it in traffic and when the car is going slowly on electricity, then the petrol is there when you need it. So you don't ever really have to worry about it. The Nissan Leaf that's coming out next year, my understanding is that the range is going to be much, much higher. Um, Audi uh, have a vehicle coming out next year which is going to have a range, they say, of uh, almost 400 kilometres. Now, we need to see the proof of all of this. We need to know that you can get in and drive from A to B for 400 kilometres and not have to worry about your range. Yes. Um, Will they have a backup? No, no, that'll be purely good. electric. Yeah. Uh, the problem, one issue with electric cars is if you're using your heater, your radio, your rear demister, um, you know, all of the wipers, lights, lights, wipers, all of these things, it's using up power as well. But, you know, the people who drive them are careful about conserving 
their their energy. It does need a different approach to driving it. You can't just get in and drive it and say, I'll never have to worry about recharging this. Uh, but there are issues around recharging points, how accessible they are, how accessible they are when you get there. Because in some cases, people will just dump their car. Not an electric car. I've seen it several times where people just park on the spot Instead of and off they go. Yeah. Oh, or they just want to go in and have a coffee and they decide to take the space. So designated uh, fast charging points are key to the development of that kind of infrastructure. But I think people are getting used to the idea Mm -hmm. and it's going to take some time to get used to the concept and living with it and so on. But the people who have adapted to it already uh, swear by them and say they won't go back. But there are a number of questions about them, all for the future, but not the too distant future, I think. Okay. when do you think it's going to become a case where it would be weird to have a diesel, a pure diesel slash petrol car? I think by 2025, virtually no one will be making diesel or petrol cars. Wow. Okay. It's not that far, surely. It's not. It depends on how the infrastructure develops. It depends on how all the alternative fuel sources are gathered together, analysed and examined to see what actually fits. But I I think governments are are now finally realising that you have to provide for alternative energy because the current situation is not sustainable. And if you think about it, you know, with zero emissions, one thing that struck me recently, I hadn't really thought about it before, was when, when you look at a, a dual carriageway or a motorway or a crowded road on a Friday evening going south to Cork or north to Belfast, whatever, there's only one person in most of these cars. That's right. You know, even the size of the cars that they're driving combined with petrol and or diesel compared to something really small and economic, economical like a Renault Zoe, <laughs> You know, do we really need these size of cars anymore? And I think that's what people are going to think more about. We're moving towards uh, autonomous driving. And the the incredible challenge, I think, for, for technology is when you get the fusion of the electric car and the self-driving car, which is what Tesla are doing. Just imagine, you won't really have to know how to drive anymore. Your children, maybe, will never take a driving test. Your grandchildren will certainly say, so you used to own this thing and it used to be in in the garden at home and it had wheels and, uh, you know, it had a big engine. Uh, This is, I mean, it's like trying to to tell them about penny farthing bicycles. Yeah. Um, Or old telephones. Yeah, but there's a fantastic photograph taken one time. I was at a lecture about this uh, taken in New York. I think it's around 1908. And the challenge in this black and white picture, which is completely populated on Broadway, all these people are driving horses and carriages and they're all in handsome cabs and they're all going from A to B. Seven years later, the same photograph is taken in the same location and the challenge is to spot the horse. Wow. Because it's all cars. Unbelievable. So that's how fast technology changes. That's how fast things are changing right now. Even faster now. Even faster. There are cars in laboratories that are capable of doing things that we really can only dream about. Uh, but... There are going to be pros and cons. I think one of the great things will be uh, it may well put an end to rural isolation. When people get much older, they're not going to have to rely on going to a GP to get their license renewed and say, oh, I've got to do a driving test or reset the test or whatever. You know, a car will theoretically come to a nursing home and bring your mother or your father down to the local coffee shop and let them get their hair done, park itself and then come back and collect them with their choice of music on, with their choice of temperature in the car. And it's all incredible, uh, but it's already here. It's already, I've, I've seen various elements of this. I haven't seen them all come together yet, but Silicon Valley has blindsided the traditional motor industry right across the world. 
software is now deciding what happens instead of someone with a pencil and paper and a slide rule saying, OK, what about if we move the wheels back a little bit here and we put this on here? It's, it's all about technology. It's all about software. It's all about what the car can do. It's all about artificial intelligence matching human intelligence. Wow, um, the future's coming. The future is coming. Never mind winter. And Donal, we, we won't be able to buy this one, though, in 2018. No, <laughs> no, but you know, there are already elements yeah. uh, of, of, of this kind of technology available. Uh, you know, adaptive cruise control, which reduces the speed of the car automatically or reads the road signs so well. And the engineers are now working, we think in an Irish context, not every road is marked. You go onto yes. an L road and suddenly there are no markings That's at right. all. They're beginning now to recognise hedgerows and little gaps between the tarmac and the, the undergrowth. And they will be able to read that as well as they can read a perfectly painted white line or a yellow line on a motorway. Amazing. So it's all about cameras, sensors, all of these things coming together to make driving a lot easier, maybe a lot more boring, but uh, certainly more accident free and certainly a much safer experience. Which, again, is key. Donald, it's fascinating. I mean, for you, you watch movies, the likes of Minority Report, and you think, will we ever get there? And it seems we are. Uh, on paper, we're there. Okay. Um, it's just a matter of local legislation, various other factors, how quickly the, human, the interface between human and artificial intelligence is, is going to happen. But everything that I've seen so far points to, in my view, the near future rather than the far future. Donal Byrne, motoring editor of RTE. And you can read more from Donal on rte.ie forward slash lifestyle and in the lifestyle section of the RTE News Now app. Donal, thank you so much. Not only have you set us ready for shopping, car shopping for 2018, but also long into the future, we know it's coming. So to find out more, you can find us and join us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram as well. That's it from me, Tara Lockery-Grant. Thanks a million for listening to The Lifestyle Show and I'll be back with you next week. The Lifestyle Show on RTE Radio 1 Extra.